over the years, it's been my privilege to travel to the mountainous areas of these great United States. I remember some years ago going to New Hampshire and going to Mount Washington, the highest peak west of the Mississippi, the highest peak in New England. And they have a cog railway. It takes about three hours round trip to take that cog railway to the top of the mountain and back. And the top of Mount Washington has a stupendous view as you look around at all of the mountainous areas around there and as you look down at the landscape. It's also known for its erratic weather. The lowest recorded temperature on Mount Washington was, if I'm not mistaken, in the 1930s, it was about 41 below. Fortunately, I wasn't there then. But it was a beautiful, spectacular view from the summit of Mount Washington. Then several years ago, Norm and I, along with the rest of my family, my father, my mother, my grandfather, we had the privilege of taking a trip to Montana. I had an aunt and uncle that lived in Missoula, Montana. And Uncle Carl had several pack horses. And Montana's got numerous wilderness areas where they won't allow you to take any motorized vehicles. We were planning on the next morning, we were planning on taking the horse trailer up to the base camp of one of those wilderness areas and we were going to saddle the horses and ride the pack horses up to the top of one of the mountains there. And Dad was questioning Uncle Carl. This fits in nicely with our Bible class lesson on being kind. Dad said, well now Carl, exactly how much weight is one of those pack horses, can one of those pack horses manage as they get up in that thin mountain there? He said, well, J.R., he said, uh, you know, we try to keep that weight between 280 and 300 pounds on those horses. You know, you could carry some of our canned goods. You could carry some supplies, a tent, whatever. Tim, you probably could take a raincoat with you. Anyway, we got to that base camp, and we took the horse trailer there, and we took the horses out, and we saddled the horses, and we rode up those in the mountain trails. Now, I don't know how to describe it. Those trails, some of them weren't any wider than this. And on one side is nothing but a sheer rock cliff. And you can't even see the bottom off the other side. And you're trusting this horse to take you to the summit. But we did. And some of the most beautiful breathtaking views you can imagine. We were able to see riding those horses up those mountain trails to the peaks of those mountains in Montana. And yet, folks, as beautiful as the scenery was from the top of Mount Washington, and as beautiful as the scenery was from the mountains of Montana, and as beautiful as it's been riding the Blue Ridge Parkway or other mountain roads and mountain passes, at some point, you have to leave the mountaintop. At some point, you've got to come back to the bottom of the mountain. But looking at those panoramic views, you want to make it last as long as you possibly can. 
Because you realize you may never again have that experience. It's been nearly 40 years since I rode those pack horses to the mountaintops in Montana and I've never done it since. Probably never will do it again. You see, we have to leave the mountaintop. We have to come back down to the bottom because life goes on. That's the scene you encounter in Mark chapter 9. Jesus Christ has been on the mountaintop. He's been up there with His inner circle of Peter and James and John. and They've had, my goodness, they've had a mountaintop experience up there. A spiritual mountaintop experience with Jesus. Because Peter and James and John saw the transfiguration of Jesus. They saw Jesus in vivid, dazzling white apparel. I want you to take your vivid imagination. I want you to take an eye of faith and I want you to see the Lord of glory as they saw Him that day on the mountaintop. The glorious essence of Jesus as it was shining through that day. They also saw Moses and Elijah, the great lawgiver and the forerunner for the Messiah. They actually witnessed Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. Peter and James and John saw this luminous cloud that enveloped them all. That luminous cloud was the manifestation of the presence of God Almighty. Peter and James and John were on the mountaintop. They heard the voice of God when God said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Oh my, as you read the story, Peter wanted so badly for that moment to last. He said, let's stay right here. Let's stay right here and let's build three tabernacles, Lord. We'll build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah and we'll just stay on the mountaintop. But they couldn't. They had to leave the mountaintop experience and go back to the valley and go about their business. That spiritual high on the mountain couldn't last forever. Because there was work to do. Let's be honest. All of us at some point in our lives have experienced a spiritual mountaintop experience. Maybe it wasn't as stupendous as that of Peter and James and John. Maybe our spiritual high wasn't as great as theirs was. Maybe our spiritual high came that time we put the Lord on in baptism. And we were like, I heard one lady describe it. She said, oh, I went down in that water just feeling so nasty and filthy and I came up feeling cleaner than I've ever felt in all my life. We came up out of that baptismal water and we had all kinds of possibilities out yonder in front of us. We were new creatures, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, ready to take on the world, ready to conquer Satan and ready to conquer sin. Or maybe it was... A spiritual high one time when we led someone to Jesus Christ. I never will forget one night after an evening service I'd preached. It was about 7.30. I was at a lady's house and her niece came by. And the niece had some questions 
about the Bible. And about 7.30 that Sunday night, we started talking. And we opened the Bible. And she asked questions, and I answered them. And she asked more questions, and I answered them. At 2.30 Monday morning, tears coming down her face, she says, I want to be a Christian. And so you know what we did? We went to the church building, unlocked the door, started calling people, getting people out of bed to come down and watch that girl. She wanted her mother and her grandmother to be there. That was a spiritual high. Or maybe a spiritual high we had was on a mission trip, knocking doors or helping do something where the gospel was weak. But whatever it was, we've had a spiritual mountaintop experience in our life, but it doesn't last forever. We can't stay on the mountaintop indefinitely. We want our relationship to God to be always on a high. We want it to be a relationship that's characterized by fervent prayer and a deep study of the Scriptures. We want our spiritual relationship to God to be one of tireless good works and joyful worship and a sense of the presence of God with us all the time. But we have to come down from the mountain. And you know what? That's hard sometimes. So very hard. Because you see, the mountains are few and far between. And mountaintop experiences require a grueling climb to get to the top. Now, if we're lucky, when we come down from the mountain, we find some gently rolling hills that we can just easily navigate. But that's not usually the way we find it, is it? No, we come down from the mountain and we find valleys. More often than finding valleys, we find a ditch. And I usually end up in the ditch. And sometimes it feels like we've come down from the mountain and we've fallen to the very bottom of Royal Gorge or the Grand Canyon or something like that. What's life like in those times? What do we do when we find ourselves in the valleys of life? When we find ourselves in those places where the sun doesn't even seem to shine and we don't even see any way out? What do we do? when we're standing beside a newly made grave of someone that was taken far too soon? What do we do when we've prayed for something and it doesn't come to pass? What do we do when our prayers seem dry and we wonder, is God listening to us? More than that, in those valleys of life, do we ever wonder, does God care? Does God really even care? How do we find faith when we're no longer on the mountaintop. When we can't hear the voice of God like Peter and James and John heard Him that day. We need guidance on what to do. I want to read this morning from Mark chapter 9. I'm going to begin with verse 14. When He came to His disciples, they've come down from the mountain. And when He came to His disciples, He saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld Him, were greatly amazed and running to Him and saluted Him. And He asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, 
I've brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I speak to thy disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the Spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it since this came upon him? And he said, Since he was a child. And oftentimes it's cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now listen to it. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. The inner circle of Jesus had come down from the mountaintop to a rude awakening. The other disciples were there. The scribes were there. This large crowd is gathered. Now remember, the scribes are some of Jesus' greatest critics. So it comes and it's no surprise that they're there. And what's the argument all about? Jesus asks them, and a man in the crowd says, well, it's all about my son. You see, the man that spoke up is not just any man. It's a distraught father. A father that's distraught over the condition of his son. The boy is possessed by a demon. And he brought him to Jesus to be healed. But Jesus was on the mountain. And the disciples of Jesus that were there in the valley, they had tried to cast the demon out. But they failed. And so that explains what the fuss is all about with the scribes. Can you hear those scribes mocking the disciples of Jesus? Can you hear those, those scribes as they mock the disciples over their miserable failure? And as they even used it as a way to attack Jesus? <laughs> you guys are a bunch of frauds just like your master Jesus is, they'd say. You're failures. You're useless. And yet Jesus tells us what's at stake. He says, how long am I going to be with you? Jesus is pained by that expression. How long am I going to be here, He said. He is pained. He's exasperated. You can hear it in His voice. He's saddened over their lack of faith. But who's He exasperated with? He's exasperated with the scribes for arguing with the disciples and challenging His authority. He's exasperated with the crowd, including the Father. They're amazed at Jesus' power, but they're uncomprehending of Jesus. And He's exasperated with the disciples. Because they don't have enough faith to minister in the absence of Jesus. What would have been our reaction? Had we been in Jesus' shoes, we probably would have... Well, fine. Just forget it, guys. Just, just forget it. Forget you. But that wasn't what Jesus did. The reaction of Jesus shows His love. 
The reaction of Jesus shows His compassion. The reaction of Jesus shows His mercy. He didn't say, just forget it. He said, bring the boy. He called for the boy to be brought to Him. There's something we see in this story. And that is a struggling faith. Mark describes the boy's condition, showing us just how serious it is. And the unclean spirit in the boy sees Jesus, but doesn't cry out as unclean spirits have done before. It remains silent. Confirming that it causes mutinous, just like the father has said. Picture that poor boy. In all the graphic detail that Mark gives us in in, in this passage, in, in, in his gospel account. The demon throws his body to the ground. The demon sends him into convulsions. He rolls around. He's foaming at the mouth uncontrollably. And Jesus said, how long has this been going on? How long has it been happening? Almost like a physician taking notes and diagnosing a case. And we learn, well, it's been happening since childhood. More than that, we learn what an incredibly dangerous situation it is. The Spirit torments him, but it casts him into the water. It casts him into the fire. It's trying to destroy him. And the boy's condition appears to be hopeless because it's afflicted him ever since he was little. Now you think about that father. And you think about how that father must have felt. I can only imagine what that father was going through. Dr. Luke says this was this man's only child. Now imagine the pain of that father. Watching his maimed, burnt son. He's been cast into the fire. He's wallowing in the dirt. Staring up at his dad with tear-filled eyes and terror-filled eyes. Unable to hear and unable to cry out for help. And the father begs pitifully to Jesus. What did he say? Lord, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Because he's completely helpless. Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us, Lord. This man isn't just in the valley, folks. He's not just in the ditch. He's so far down, he can't even see daylight anymore. And Jesus says, and I can almost see Jesus with a half smile on his face, not mocking the man, but incredulous as he says, what do you mean if I can? Lord, if you can do that, what do you mean if I can? Then Jesus tells him, if you believe, all things are possible. And what did the man say? He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help me believe more. Here is an honest man. One of the most transparent people we'll meet anywhere on the pages of God's holy book. His faith was trembling. My friends, his faith was flawed. 
But his faith was real. I find encouragement there. You should find encouragement there. Because even though his faith was weak, Jesus responded to that faith. He rebuked the foul spirit. He freed the boy from his demons. This man's faith, imperfect though it was, moved Jesus to take action. You ever beaten yourself up because you felt like your faith wasn't as strong as it ought to be? We do that, don't we? Don't we sometimes beat ourselves up because our, we think our faith's not as strong as it should be? We think that to be pleasing to God, we shouldn't ever have any doubts. God said it, that settles it. That's the rule we want to operate with. And yet, folks, while that is true logically, God said it and that settles it, that's true logically. Oftentimes in our pain and our uncertainty in the valleys of life, that's a small comfort to us. I think no doubt during the past year, a lot of us have experienced a good bit of this. In quiet moments of solitude, we've asked, Why, God? Why is all of this happening, God? Why has it come to this, God? And then we feel guilty. We feel guilty because we've been questioning God. And we're feeling guilty, then our despair just is deepened. Are you listening? I've got a news flash for you. This story reminds us it's okay to question our faith. We are not unbelievers simply because sometimes we have doubts. The key is that we look to the right place. To alleviate those doubts. When we have those doubts, rather than those doubts causing us to turn away from God, they should cause us to turn to God. That's what the Father did. This Father had doubts. He said, Lord, I believe. Help Thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Would You help me, Lord, to believe more? He said, I believe. And that's a conscious decision. But despite his doubts, despite his uncertainty, despite his wavering, he stepped out in faith. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, help me believe more. That's a recognition that his faith is weak. When our faith is weak, when our faith is halting, when our faith is questioning, we're in good company. There's Job. Job suffered physically. Job suffered emotionally. Job suffered socially and Job suffered spiritually. Job actually questioned God. Job actually accused God of afflicting him. 
Job struggled with some of the same issues that you and I face. And if you go read the story of Job, Job never really learned the answer to all of his questions. But you know what Job did find? Job found that God's care was sufficient. Job found that God's care was all that he needed. Then there's one of the apostles, the one that's called Thomas. We usually use that for his second name, and we usually refer to him as Doubting Thomas. First name was Doubting. When Jesus appeared to the apostles after the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas said, well, I don't believe it. And if I, unless I can put my touch the prints of the nails in his hand and put my finger in his side where the spear went in, I won't believe. Well, the next time Jesus appeared, Thomas was there. Jesus looked over at him and he said, Thomas, come on. Come touch my hands. Come put your finger where the spear pierced my side. And Thomas the doubter said, My Lord and my God. Sometimes we find ourselves struggling in the valleys of life. We get away from the mountaintop. And we wonder what we can do to recapture that experience. We struggle in the valley. We beat ourselves up for our failures. We feel guilty because of our lack of faith. And we wonder, what do we do to fix it? And we find ourselves trying to trust our own wit and our own wisdom and our own power. And we try, try to look to ourselves for answers. We can accomplish nothing on our own. But we must remember what Paul said when he wrote the Philippian letter. And he said, I can do all things through Christ. Christ who strengthens me. How about your faith this morning? Is your faith in Jesus strong? Is your faith in Jesus strong enough for you to Live His kind of life. If you've never come to Jesus in simple trusting faith, would you do that? Would you come in simple trusting faith? Believing in Jesus with all of your heart, turning your back on sin through repentance, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Or maybe you've done that. But you spend so much time in the valley and you need to come back and you need to have brothers and sisters pray with you and for you to increase your faith. Jesus Christ must be the Lord and Master of our lives. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of our life, Jesus is not Lord and Master at all in our life. But let's be like the Father in the story. Lord, I believe. Help me believe more. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the needs of your life might be. But if there's a change you need to make, and if there's something we can do to help you make that change, 
This is your opportunity to come and let that be made known as together we stand and while we sing.